Welcome to Song Surgery, where we dissect hit records with the songwriters who composed them and the singers and musicians who performed on them. I'm Sid Holmes. Let's get started. In 1972, Bay Area funk band Tower of Power scored their first top 40 hit with You're Still a Young Man. The next year, songwriters Emilio Castillo and Stephen Doc Kupta followed up with So Very Hard to Go, released on their third album, Tower of Power, and with a new lead singer, Lenny Williams. The song turned out to be T.O.P.'s biggest hit and was also based on the same woman who had inspired Emilio Castillo to write You're Still a Young Man. So let's set the stage for So Very Hard to Go, your next single that was a hit. I guess after You're Still a Young Man, you had to feel pretty good, pretty confident about your songwriting skills. I don't know about that. For one thing, you know, You're Still a Young Man was the first song we ever wrote, and we weren't allowed to record it on our first record. The producer was David Rubinson, and he said, no, that song's too mushy. We're not gonna do that song. And we had been playing it at the nightclubs and it became a big song for us. So that was disappointing to us that we couldn't record You're Still a Young Man. And then after we put out that record, East Bay Grease, we wound up doing the record with Steve Cropper in Memphis. It was called Bump City. And that's when we recorded You're Still a Young Man. And it immediately took off and was a big hit. But I don't ever remember thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'm quite a songwriter. I, I was frankly amazed. So you're still a young man. There was a young lady involved. And the inspiration for So Very Hard to Go is another young lady. Well, I, I think it's loosely based on the same lady, to tell you the truth. I had fallen in love when I was 18 with a girl that was 24 years old. And, you know, that was a big deal. At our age now, men are with women older, younger. It's not that big a deal. But, you know, when you're 18 years old, and to be with a woman that's 24, <laughs> head over heels for this girl. She looked like Ann Margaret. She was gorgeous. And she had broken my heart, and we had broken up. She broke up with me twice. And whenever we broke up, she always said the same thing. You know, you're too young for me. You're too young. And you should be with girls your own age. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be with girls my own age. I want to be with you. Were you really too young for her? Or was he looking at that age gap? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I have no idea. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we seemed really in love. And when we were together, it was really great. But uh, she had kind of an abusive relationship with a, a Vietnam veteran. And uh, she had a tragic life after me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, after the second time she broke up with me, uh, I got over it a little quicker. And by then, we had moved up to the Berkeley Hills. And, you know, we were making some good money. And I had been hanging out with Lenny Williams. Now, he wasn't in the band yet. I had met him when I was 17. He came out to Fremont with a girl singer named Maxine Howard. I think her last name was Howard. And we were looking for a female vocalist. They came out and Lenny Williams was with her and, and she was telling me, you need to hear this guy sing. And I was like, you know, we're not looking for a guy. We want a girl, you know. But I remember he sang and we were like, whoa, you know. And we got a call one night in the middle of the night from Larry Graham, who's the 
the bass player for Sly and the Family Stone. And he said, I'm making a record on a guy and, and I'd like to have your horns on it. Would you guys come over to my house? And I remember back then, Sly and all those guys, they always wore these wigs. And so Larry had this wig on and there was this guy singing next to Larry with this wig. And man, it was really soulful. And so we're listening, and then Larry says, you know, this is the song I want to put the horns on. And then we took a little break, and we went into the kitchen, and the guy comes up to me, and he goes, Mimi. He calls me by my nickname, you know, and I go, yeah. And he says, you don't remember me, huh? And I go, no. And he goes, I came out to Fremont, to George's Palace, and I sang for you but you were looking for a girl. I was with Maxine Howard. And he goes, this is a wig. And he, he pulled the wig off. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, he goes, yeah, Lenny Williams. And I go, oh, man, <laughs> I you, man. I go, what are you doing? He goes, well, Larry is producing this album on me. I go, wow, you sound fabulous, man, these songs. And it was all the songs that actually became the first Graham Central Station record. Mm, okay. But if you listen to that record, you can hear Lenny Williams in the background singing the song People and on the song Hair. And uh, it was the one, don't leave me, baby, don't you go. He's, he's on all that stuff. You, know? you wrote So Very Hard to Go with his vocals in mind. Exactly, because what happened was he started hanging out with us. And we had Rick Stevens as our singer, and, and Lenny was coming over and he was hanging out. We had written a couple songs. We wrote, You Strike My Main Nerve, and Oh Sorry Over Nothing, and Clean Slate. And, you know, we wrote a few songs, but I had that, oh, that, oh, you know, I, I had that in my brain all the time. And so, the night that we were writing So Very Hard to Go, we had, we had already moved up to the hills by then. And we're up in my bedroom up there and we started you know, writing this song. And, and I was thinking about that girl that had broken my heart. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just gonna write a story loosely based on that relationship. But see, that's the funny part about it because that song sounded confessional. I'd have to pay for my mistakes. Right, what was the mistake? It wasn't that there was any mistakes. <laughs> it was, it's a story. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we're just making up a story. That's the lyric that worked right there. You gotcha. Know. I knew the time would come. I'd have to pay for my mistakes. I can't blame you, even though my heart aches. You know, it just worked. I knew the time would come. I'd have to pay for my mistakes. What you doing to me, girl? Even though my heart is... We read the verse part, and the idea was, you know, I can never make you unhappy. Oh, you know, and that's Lenny Williams. You know, I mean, I just, I heard it. We went to that five minor chord, and I heard that, oh. You know, I could just hear him doing that. And I wrote it like that. How long had that been stuck in your mind before you put pen to paper? I'd been hanging out with him. And, and I dug that voice. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, that, oh, 
I, 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 <laughs> and a pussy would go, you know, oh, 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 oh. He had that plea. He'd be pleading. Begging. Yeah, begging, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I, I dug that, you know. And so when I was writing, I'd be like, sing like that. What came first, the melody or the words, or both at the same time? I think it came out like sweat, man. It wasn't even like the melody came or the words came. It's like, uh, you know, uh, nothing I can say, <laughs> nothing I can do. Because I had the chords, the melody just sang right into the chords. And uh, it just kind of came out like sweat, you know. And then when we got to that pre-chorus i could never make you unhappy that just it wrote itself and I remember when we finished writing the song, both of us, we looked at each other and we said, let's call Ron. Ron was our manager. And I called Ron Barnett and I said, I think we wrote a hit. And he starts laughing. He goes, yeah, right. You know, I go, no, I go, I'm serious. And we played it for him on my guitar over the phone. And when he heard it, he goes, I think you did. And what happened was we were starting to have problems with Rick Stevens, because he had gotten into heroin. And I had already, I had fired him a couple of times and asked Lenny to come in the band. And Lenny, he was friends with all of us, so he didn't want to get between us. So he kept saying no, and then we take Rick back. But what happened is Rick said he wasn't going to sing anything on the record until everything was recorded. And I had all these problems. Mick Gillette had a hernia. So anyway, finally, I got all the horns recorded, all the strings recorded, all the keyboards, everything was recorded. The only thing left was for Rick Stevens to sing the lead. And I called him in and it was really clear by then that So Very Hard to Go was the song. It was such a cool song, you know. And so that's the first one. I said, let's do this one first. And he didn't even know it. He hadn't even been paying attention. And he started singing. I said, look, when you do it, and I started to show him, and he, and he got really angry. And he goes, why don't you just sing it? You want to be the singer anyway. And he walked out. Now, I was on a lockout at Wally Hyder Studio. That's where you, you're spending money for 24 hours of studio time, whether you use it or not. And now... The only guy that can record just walked out of the session. And I was like, I shut the session down. I went to my house in Berkeley. The guys were up there. I said, you know what, man? I go, this guy's out of here, man. We got to get a singer. And I called up Lenny Williams. And I said, Lenny, I said, uh, whether you come in the band or not, I am firing Rick Stevens. And I want you to be the singer. But if you don't do it, I'm getting somebody. And he told me, he said, he rolled over, <laughs> his wife's name was Pearl. He said, uh, he said, I rolled over, I said to Pearl, I think he's serious this time, I'm going to do it. You know, I knew that he would kill that tune. And he didn't know none of the other songs. Mm -hmm. But if we just get him on that song and put it out as a single, that'll buy us time so we can finish the rest of the record. So you recorded it and put it out as a single first before the album was completed. recorded it. First day he came in, we did it. He killed it. And we put it out within a week. And it just immediately 
boom, huge hit. Another thing about that that recording is, you know, uh, the way we actually made the the record part of it. I mean, we have those violins doing that "Ode to Billy Joe" thing. Seems like nothing ever comes to no good up on Choctaw Ridge, and now Billy Joe McAllister's jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Where does that come in? You know, like when it, whenever it goes back to the verse, it goes back to the B flat. And Ode to Billy Joe had been out before that. And I remember the violins coming from a half step under. You know, it's like a, it's a country thing. And I said, man, I got to have that there. We didn't have any experience with writing string parts, but we knew that what happens with the strings is they, they kind of play this melody that complements what's going on with the rest of the recording. You know, so when we got to that part, I could never make, we had this part. Ba -da -da, ba -da -da, ba -da and that comes from an old song called, uh, what was it, uh, High and Mighty, I think, you know. I, I was high and mighty. I was high and mighty. How I laughed at love and the stars above. Doc was always a, a Broadway show guy. He knew all that stuff, you know. But... We had that line, da, 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 ba, da, ba. Because I could never make you unhappy. No, I could do that. To me, that chord right there, that's the five minor. That's what makes that whole song. When it comes down to laying down the music, did you put down the keyboards or the guitars or the horns? How did that work? We lay down the rhythm section first. And back then we didn't have a keyboard player. So there was this blind guy that we had met when we did You're Still a Young Man in Memphis. His name was Jay Spell. And we flew Jay Spell out to the Bay Area. And I had him put parts on all of those tracks on that Tower of Power album. And I, I pretty much dictated what I wanted. I'd sing a lick from another song that I liked. These sort of country uh, and Western piano licks. Floyd Kramer. Floyd Kramer was a famous country and Western pianist. So yeah, I like that Floyd Kramer stuff, man. I tell him, right here, I want you to be tinkling. I tell him, I said, right here, right here, just, you know, ba-da-da, 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 ba-da-da. He's like, oh, like this? I got to make it right for everyone concerned. Yeah, like that, <laughs> you know? I go, yeah, exactly. I just kind of walked through each section of the song with the guy. He was blind. He had tremendous ears. It's a bluesy kind of guitar at the beginning. Was that kind of new for you guys? I don't know. You know, I didn't think it through that much. I just knew what I wanted. And so I would convey that. That's kind of my forte. 
you know, I work with, with really good musicians and I'm, I'm able to let them know what I'm looking for and, and get from them whatever they need to contribute in the process. Now that trumpet bridge, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking to myself, if this is a breakup song, this is the cheeriest breakup song I've ever heard. That trumpet's just light and breezy and sounds very happy to be breaking up with this woman. Yeah, you know, I um, I was thinking about that trumpet solo today and I was thinking, I don't know what possessed me to say, let's put a trumpet solo, but it was a flugelhorn, actually, the, the fat trumpet, you know. And uh, Greg Adams did it. And his, his uh, approach right from the beginning was, uh, it's not going to be an extemporaneous solo. You know, it's going to be like a, a lyrical solo. Once we had it recorded, he said, you know, I'm playing this solo every night that we play this song. And I said, yeah, I have a feeling people are going to make you. <laughs> that ending note, were you thinking upbeat note at the end? Because it sounds like hope and upbeat and we're going to get back together. All I knew was I wanted to go back to the B flat. You know, the chorus is in G. The whole song's in B flat, but the chorus is in G. We're vamping out on that chorus. And I thought, when we go back, when we get to the end, we're going back to the B flat. And I'm going to have those violins do that half step again. When that record hit the record stores and it became a hit, what was that like? It was pretty amazing. You know, radio back then was nothing like it is now. Now everything's streaming and the internet and all that. But back then, man, radio was the thing. And everybody... Everybody listened to the radio. And all of a sudden, that song was just like, especially because, you know, we're Bay Area boys. Man, they were, it was just like, it's Tower of Power. It's Tower. You know, they're like, <laughs> they were so proud of us, you know, because the song just took off. And they were playing it on the hour several times. And uh, it was a great feeling. Plus, uh, Lenny Williams' voice, you know, very special. You can't sort of underplay how important he was to that recording. He's a very special singer. That marriage of that lyric, that melody, that band, that vocalist, that arrangement, it all worked perfectly. But Rick did actually lay down the track, didn't he? No, he was, uh, he was struggling. I read that there have been like 60 band members. How do you manage to have guys coming through a band? And they leave for various reasons, I understand. But it always seemed like they left on good terms, even when they didn't leave on good terms. You know, like when Rick came back and he was welcomed up on stage. The man who sang, you're still a young man. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Rick Stevens. How do you manage to do that? I have yet to find a picture of you without a smile. Well, for one, the main thing about my life and, and the way I run my life, I, I, I believe in God. I have a relationship with God, and I try to live a godly life, you know, a life that brings God glory. And, and, and that's all about, you know, accepting people as they are, loving them where they're at, forgiving them when they need forgiveness. And life's just too short to uh, short yourself of relationships that you could actually have. And, you know, my father 
was my my main sort of inspiration as a leader because and I tell the story a lot you know as, as a young boy we would go pick up my dad at work and we'd pull in and they and we'd say we're here to to see Jack Castile and they they look and they go oh you're Mr. C's boys you know we love Mr. C you know and, and we'd go in and everybody'd be like making a big fuss over us because I was my father's son mm-hmm. and they loved him, you know, and mind you, he could be pretty tough on somebody. If they were messing up, he, he could lay down the law real good, but he always did it in a sort of uh, an honorable way. And, and, and most of the time though, everything was sort of fun. He was a funny guy and it's, you know, kept everybody up. And the thing that I learned from my dad that I still use today is he made people want to work for him. He handled himself in a way that made people want to do their best for him. And that's what I try to do, you know. And also, he always availed himself of everything they had to offer. You know, if you're working with talented people, you're a fool if you're there telling them, this is what I want, and this is what I need, and I want nothing else. No. When you have really talented people, you want everything that they have to give, you know. And there's a way to get all that and give musicians leeway and still sort of, you know, ride rain on it, be the filter. Doc told me the story of you're still a young man. And one thing about him that I got, whatever he spoke about, he made it understood that the leader of the band is Emilio. That's my job. I'm the filter. You know, I, uh, the buck stops here. So, you know, everybody's got ideas. And my job is to make sure that everyone's idea is seen and heard and tried. And then we all arrive at an agreement. Okay, this is what's working. We do that together. It's a together thing. It's not the Emilio show. That's beautiful. What's your favorite song to play live? I really enjoy playing only so much oil in the ground. For one, the lyrical content gets more pertinent every single moment that we live. And it's just a pleasure to play. The song plays itself. It's effortless when we're up there playing only so much oil in the ground. It's funky. It's up-tempo, it makes you want to dance, it's got the killer solos, the horn arrangement that Greg Adams did, everything about it just makes it a joy to play every single night that I play. So I always mention that one. And then, you know, the other thing for me is I love the ballads. And so, uh, like, if you listen to our latest release, 50 Years of Funk and Soul, just when we start making it with the full orchestra, and I, I love that. There's just there's some, something about a love song, a ballad that rings your heart out like a rag. It just does it for me, man. I'm a romanticist and uh, always have been, always will. 50 Years of Funk and Soul live at the Fox Theater can be found at the band's website, towerofpower.com. In 1973, So Very Hard to Go reached number 11 on the Billboard R&B Singles Chart, number 17 on the Hot 100, and number 76 on the Hot 100 Year-End Chart.
nothing I can do I feel so bad Yeah I feel so blue mm. I got to make it right For everyone concerned Even if it's me If it means What's getting back Cause I could like what you've heard, please subscribe to this podcast and check out the Song Surgery Podcast Facebook page for updates and discussion. Until next time.